Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence. I'm Kate Barrett, your host and the founder of eFocus Marketing, a specialist email marketing agency helping brands to use email more intelligently. As always in these eTelligence Masterclass sessions, we're going to dig down into a specific area of email marketing to help you increase your results and use email more intelligently. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome John Thies as my guest on the show. John is the CEO and co-founder of Email on Acid. You won't believe how many clients question me when I tell them your business name, John, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Email on Acid are a pre-deployment email QA platform that strives to remove the inherent fear of hitting the send button. We've all been there and I know a lot of you feel that every time you get to that point. John is a passionate and engaging industry leader who lives, breathes and dreams in email. I'm with you, John. I'm constantly <laughs> dreaming about what we can do better and how we can move things forward. So it's not just you, I promise. <laughs> John also serves as the CEO of Cause for Awareness, a recently formed nonprofit that empowers other nonprofit organizations with digital marketing resources. So John, welcome and thanks for taking the time to join me on this Intelligence Masterclass. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate. Like I I'm deeply honored to be a part of this. I'm a huge fan of um, your work and what you do. So thank you very much for for allowing me to talk to you and you know your your podcast subscribers today. Fantastic. Thank you. So before we jump into our topic for today, and it's a good one, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what Email on Acid does and how you came up with that name as well? That would be really cool. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, so as Kate mentioned, my name is John Thies. Um, so uh, kind of I'll get into kind of how it started. Um, so my sister is the co-founder, um, is my co-founder. So we started this business about 10 and a half years ago. Um, as we are kind of coming up with the name, really what, what we do is, so, so our core technology is, or how we started, we've kind of evolved since then, but we show you how your email displays in every email client. Because every email client, whether it's Gmail, and like AOL, Yahoo, Android, iPhone, all display your emails differently. And so from a marketing perspective, you don't know exactly when and where or how your subscribers are opening your email. So we provide a service to show you what that rendering looks like. And so as we are building or formulating the, the concept um, of this business, we it's really kind of like an acid test. You know, in chemistry, you do an acid test where you put um, a chemical or something through acid or a base and you kind of see the end result and it's called an acid test. And so we took that and we said, okay, so how do we name this, this company or organization? And initially we were thinking about email in acid because a lot of times when you send an email out, it kind of looks like, you know, when you look at Outlook, um, some of the emails that you <laughs> can send might look like they're on acid in some of those email clients. And then my sister one day came to me and said, I got the, I got an idea. She's like, how about email on acid? And I died laughing. I was like hysterically laughing. I was like, that is so perfect. That fits our personalities. 
And so ever since that day, it's, it's been email on acid and it's cause there's a, some double puns there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I get it all the time when I go to the bank, people look at me kind of funny and be like, mm, what's this? Uh, <laughs> so, um, that's really kind of how it started. And as we've evolved into, and that's why I'm really excited to talk to you about the topic about QA is we've really evolved in the, not just a rendering, but a full suite um, email QA workflow. And there's so much that's involved in that. Uh, and that's really kind of, we really took a lot of inspiration from, um, so what other in businesses are doing in the industry and to kind of really take, not in the industry, sorry, in the, like when you think about taxes, you think about other areas that we do complex tasks and how they've broken that down and kind of simplified, we kind of taken the inspiration from that and brought it into the email space to make it easier for everyone to really deploy the, the best quality campaigns that they can deploy. Absolutely. And it's such a powerful platform and it's not what you would get in your ESP. You know, this takes you further than what they give you under testing. It gives you checks against accessibility, which is so important right now to make sure that your emails are accessible, not only across devices in terms of the render testing, but accessible to people who have permanent or situational disabilities. So making sure they can read your email properly, making sure that it's built to be understood by the technology that we have out there nowadays. And even beyond that kind of initial process of checking that everything is right, in your email, it also then gives you, which I absolutely love, the analytics side of it. And again, goes deeper than what you would get in your normal ESP. So it shows you your, your read time, for example. So whether or not somebody has actually read the email, whether they've just kind of glanced at the email or didn't look at it at all. And you can change that. And this bit I really, really love that you can set that for individual emails. So if you've got a newsletter, for example, where you want to see if somebody's read it and their read time would be longer than if it was a sales email where a quick glance is really a read and then they can go and take an action. You can change what those different metrics are for different emails. So the system is really powerful from that pre-deployment side to that post-deployment analytics side and allowing you to feed that information back into your plans, back into your design as you go forward with your strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like with from the analytics side, when you talk about that engagement, um, we built it that way because it's really important that that not all campaigns are the same and not all campaigns are measured the same. Because just like you said, like the sales marketing, a sales email will have a different outcome or a different result than more like a newsletter where you're trying to engage them and trying to read that content. So, again, I think it you're exactly right. It all depends. And that's where the kind of the planning up front comes in is like, how are we going to measure this campaign? What, how are we preparing it? And all, you know, all those uh, thought or those thought points or those points of thinking when you're developing or putting together a campaign. So let's kind of take it back a step then. So today, what I wanted to invite you on to talk about, John, is that that stress point for marketers. It's that pre-send process and making sure that you've got a really solid QA process in place so that you can minimize that stress as much as possible when you actually come to pressing the send button. So for anyone who's not sure, we've been saying QA process a lot just in the last couple of minutes. So QA stands for quality assurance. So essentially making sure that everything is as right as it can be and how it should be before you hit that 
send button. So we can alleviate some of that pain and some of that stress and some of that worry. Now, of course, when you go through a really good QA process, it doesn't mean that mistakes are never going to happen. We're all human at the end of the day, but it's going to reduce the likelihood of them occurring substantially. So we're going to go through some individual elements of of that process and what you can do in just a minute. But I wanted to do an initial caveat and say, if mistakes do happen, don't panic. Like I said, it happens to the best of us. So what you need to do is make sure that you've got a plan in place to deal with any mistakes that do come up. And they will be minimal if you have a good QA process. But for example, in this plan, you want to think about what are the kinds of mistakes that justify sending out an oops email with an apology and an amendment. So for example, if an image doesn't show or you misspell, you, yeah, I'm going to say that again, or you, <laughs> you misspell your name dynamic tag so that it says, um, dear first name rather than their actual name, then you probably wouldn't send out an oops email. But if, for example, your product name is wrong, your product pricing is wrong, your call to action link doesn't work, then yes, absolutely, you want to build that apology email. So you want to send an email that says, oops, we made a mistake or sorry, here's the corrected information. And you give them the right information. Um, now, the thing that I have seen with, with oops emails, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot as well, John, is that they actually garner a lot of opens from people because I think psychologically we're very curious about that human element of people doing something wrong. Um, but in saying that, definitely don't do it on purpose because you're just going to damage your brand, damage trust in your brand. You should not do that. So if it happens, then send an oops email, own it, and then carry on and move forward. People will absolutely respect you for that. It, it's not a major, major issue. But we want to minimize the chance of that happening as much as possible. So to do that, we need to go through a really robust QA quality assurance process before we send out our emails. So that process needs to not only test and produce error-free emails, but we want to do it as quickly as we can. And that's where certainly tools like Email on Acid can come into play to help you do that and take that manual process away. So John, why do you think it's so important that we have that QA process and what makes a good QA process? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I think like why it's so important, you kind of talked about on those oops emails. And so one thing I want to kind of point out too is oops emails, like we're, we're used to, but you don't want to do it all the time, just like you said. And one thing I'd really point, I think it's like what you said exactly spot on is having that plan and having that criteria about at what point do you send an oops email? And I think with the content, like you said, you own it. But what I've seen is like some of the best like oops emails is where the brand really takes on their persona and they and they highlight that within these oops emails, right? And those are some of the best ones I've seen. And so just kind of tack onto that. And the reason why it's so important that you don't want to always send out oops emails, one is brand reputation, but two, there's a finality in sending the email. 
like once you send it, you can't get it back. So if you think about the implications of sending a bad email where a call to action doesn't work, think about all the process, like all the planning, like the editorial calendars, all the, the communication with different departments, whether it's legal or sales or support or marketing on how um, they're going to support this campaign or how you're going to support other areas of the business with this campaign. It can be incredibly expensive. And so what you want to do is make sure that there's that good QA process. And what the good QA process is, is I'll even take it not only from the designing and putting together the email, but the planning of it, the upfront planning, all the way to uh, post-send and then monitoring of it, right? Because it's all about, like, how are we doing with this campaign so that we get better over time? And from a QA perspective on a email as it's being designed, uh, I, th I think you really have to think about the content, the message that's being put in there, and then does the thing that you want the subscriber to do in the email work? I mean, that's the number one most four point, like focal point because if you're sending them to a landing page and that link doesn't work, that's pretty. That's obviously not optimal. <laughs> that's not why we would send the campaign. And so a really good process is going through and being very thorough and being making sure that from a branding perspective that you're not tarnishing your brand or putting your brand at risk. Because from a marketing perspective, you know, Kate, I don't know if you know any metric, but it's really incredibly difficult to evaluate and measure the, the value that a brand has and the impact that certain things have on that brand. Um, and I think as we think about email, yeah, oops, emails are okay, but not, but only if they're sparingly. And so I think once you, if you have this quality QA thing and you're constantly sending out quality, it kind of, it shows the level of detail that an organization or that marketers put into kind of the process and the level of detail and thoughtfulness that they're putting in as the campaigns that they send out. Well, I, I definitely agree. And it's, as marketers, we focus very much on the numbers-based data that we can get back. You know, how many opens have we had? How many clicks have we had? How many people have engaged with our Facebook campaign? How many people, you know, opened our SMS campaign? Whatever it is across the channels, we very much focus on those specific metrics, but we also need to think about the softer side as well. We need to think about the brand sentiment and how people just feel about us as a brand. And, you know, these things can be really damaging. And it's not just thinking about um, if a link works correctly, if an image shows correctly, and we'll go through a, a whole load of things that people can look out for um, a little bit later on. But it's also thinking about, as we said, like the accessibility of your email. So making sure that it's actually easy for a lot of different people with different needs to actually engage with. You know, accessibility is such a hot topic right now and quite rightly so. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one thing that I'm, that I've actively tried to push um, within, within our industry is really kind of the thoughtfulness around accessibility. And just a little statistic that I like to kind of tell people is that the in this, over like throughout the world, there's over 350 million people that have some type of visual impairment. Now, to put that into context, there's 325 million people in the United States. So, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not thinking about kind of the accessibility side and how this how this email is going to be interpreted, 
not only from an email person, I'll even take it further than that, not just from an email because if your email is accessible, but then your landing page isn't, there's, there's a misalignment there. So I think it's like a whole accessibility um, strategy and to think about how, how do we evolve accessibility in, in all facets of our marketing? Because it's, it's like, so let's say you send out an email that's, that's fully accessible, right? And you get them to click on something, but then they go to the landing page and they're not able to fill out the form or they can't see certain things. There's just a misalignment there and you've kind of lost that. You've lost that subscriber. So there's a ton of people out there. And you mentioned it too is one thing I like to talk about is that these visual impairments or these um, you know, disabilities, they might not be permanent. They can be temporary. Like your highest engaged subscriber might just went and got like cataract surgery or LASIK surgery or something like that where they can't necessarily see clearly or they can't – something happened, they got in a car. I don't know. Something maybe happened where it was temporary. They might become disengaged if they can't engage. And so I look at this – I kind of tell this story when I was a kid is that I remember my dad was playing softball and he slid into third base and he broke both of his thumbs. So his both thumbs hit the hit the corners of the base and he broke both of his thumbs. Painful. Now this was back in the eighties, so we didn't have mobile phones, we have tablets. <laughs> but if you think about that today, if you don't have your thumbs, how are you going to engage with something? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he might have been like a super highly engaged subscriber, but now he can't. And so what's gonna happen? Is he gonna come back when he can, or will he you know what I mean? Or will he leave? Will he bounce out? Definitely. And I think we need to understand those different elements of accessibility. So whether or not it's somebody who has um, a, a permanent or a situational hearing impairment. So if somebody um, is is deaf or if somebody is just in a really loud bar, for example, if we've got a video in our email, making sure we've got subtitles. Um, if somebody has a, a visual impairment, making sure that the color contrast on the button that we're using and the font color that we're using is is clear enough making sure that the way people can interact through the email so making sure that you're using a font that's large enough and that's clear enough that you've got you know some nice white spacing in your email so that you know if somebody is trying to um uh, look at the email on a mobile device even. And this is the thing. It's not even just a disability. It can be a, a device situation. You know, the way that we see and interact with our emails on mobile is very different from a desktop or webmail. So making sure that those buttons are spaced out enough that um, if you do have your thumbs available to you and you haven't <laughs> broken them like your dad, which hopefully, you know, most of us are in that position that that we've got and able to tab through and, and press those buttons. But, you know, also the, the thing that I find really interesting right now is the way that technology is going as well. So we're not just talking about screen readers anymore for people who have visual impairments, for example. We're talking about Alexa and Siri and other devices that are actually going to read us our emails whilst we're on the go. You know, this is something that is going to happen more and more as the technology evolves over the next few years. And we've got to make sure that we are coding our emails and formatting them in a way that encourages that behavior as well. You know, we need to make sure that email marketing moves with the way that technology is. And I think we are getting there. 
you know, with interactive email, for example, creating those mini websites with AMP, with AMP within our emails or using that, that CSS encoding to allow people to move through content in our emails. We're doing that because we understand that the way people are interacting and what they need is changing. And we need to do this from a, an accessibility point of view. So there's lots of things that we need to do there. Now, traditionally, people have done a QA process and, and checked these elements. And accessibility is a, not a new element that we need to check, but something we've become more aware of, I think, over the last year. But traditionally, people have done these checks on their initial template they build the template, they check it, and then they go, hey, brilliant, it all looks good, let's run with it for the next 100 email sends. They don't check it again, and all of a sudden, they find that something's changed in Outlook because that's the the bitch of the email client world, yes. shall we say. Yes. Um, you know, or, or something's changed in Gmail, or something has changed somewhere, and how you thought your email was rendering and viewing isn't actually the case anymore. So, you know, I think that's one of the important reasons that we need to check every email that we send. But what are your thoughts on that, John? Why would you encourage people not to just check the initial template, but keep checking on every single email? Yeah. And so I think that's a big thing, right? So there's, there's, a, I look at it as a couple different ways. So one is the template, like does the template render, but then you also have to think about what content do I have within that template? And that's where I think when you think about kind of the workflow and the kind of the the preparation of sending the campaign, that's incredibly important because just because you have the structure there, yeah, the structure might be right, but what's, what if something's wrong within the content? And I'll give you a perfect example is one from a spelling perspective. I'll actually give you a couple examples. So spelling. So we have like so we have a, a current client and I can't, I'm not going to disclose his name, but they're, they're a big financial institution over here in the United States. And they had four people involved in their QA process. And a sentence was supposed to say, ask like, um, you know, oh, the, no. the word ask and it said, yeah. ask. Oh, no. And so they had four people and they didn't catch it. And this is a big financial, so a big conservative, like highly, you know, regulated, all that type of stuff. And they sent out that email. And so that's why I think it's so important that when you think about the content side of it, that you're able to go and do spell checking, that you're doing links. And so for, for example, on the link side, I would look at it from a not only a pre-send but a post-send because when you send out a when you, you put together an email right that link might work but after post-send when you think about what could happen like how many things are involved um, with that link post-send your IT team might change something or even from an image perspective someone might inadvertently remove an image after post-send as the data, yeah, obviously, like there's more opens or more engagement um, in the first couple of days that send, but you will see, like I would guess, ninety five percent of the campaigns being sent is that you see kind of this still this trickle of people opening the email, like maybe they don't open it first day, maybe they open it a week later, something like that. And so if something changes with that, and when you think about links to, you have to think about what are you linking to and what domains are you looking to. And that's really when you kind of get into that deliverability side of it. Um, is the link, is that domain listed on a blacklist? Because if it is, guess what's going to happen is that you're going to start going, those emails are going to start going into the spam folder. 
when like even mid send or even post send because some ESPs will not send it all at once. They'll kind of slowly send it out. Or if you're doing an AB test and you slowly send it out, those people towards the end of that send, that email might not be going to the inbox because of that, that domain is, is blacklisted. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. Join in the discussion on social media. Search hashtag eTelligence. It touches on every part of email marketing, doesn't it? That's the thing. It's for something that, you know, in, in kind of quotes here is so simple and in quotes because, you know, it, it absolutely isn't. But something that people can often overlook or do very quickly, but actually it impacts on your brand reputation. It impacts on your deliverability. It impacts on so many different areas and that is so important. Exactly. And that's why like my, I tip my hat to Kate, like yourself and, and every email marketer out there because your job is incredibly difficult. And <laughs> because there's so many moving parts and there's so much involved and so much that, that as marketers, we need to be aware of right before we send this campaign or even, and I think that's why there's this kind of inherent fear. And I was actually reading um, an article the other day and they kind of referred it to as send phobia. <laughs> which I thought was really kind of funny is like, cause it, it really is true because there's so much involved in there. I don't want to overplay this, but there, there is, there's a lot at stake, right? Cause email, like email, like as we've seen all the statistics is that email is the most effective tool or leverage or medium um, for marketers to go out and to um, spread awareness or get conversions or, or for sale. It's a, it's the highest, you know, the most impactful medium that, that we have in our toolbox. And so we want to make sure that we do it right, but there's so much involved with it too. Definitely. So let's kind of, yeah, link into that now. We've got a download that goes with this episode where we've actually created a QA checklist for you. So if you are doing this process manually still, if you go to e-focusmarketing.com forward slash podcast, forward slash episode 14. You'll find the show notes there, but you'll also find the free download that accompanies this episode. So that will give you a QA checklist, which is a great starting point for you. So you don't need to furiously scribble down what we're about to tell you. But John, do you want to go through kind of some of those key areas that someone might want to consider if they are doing this manually? But of course, the best way to do it and to speed up the process, reinforce it and make sure nothing is missed is to look at a tool like Email on Acid. But for anyone doing it manually, what are some of those key aspects that we might want to hit upon? Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll go from kind of more simple and like some of those ones that I look at it as like, the when you're putting together a campaign, the from name, right? Like, so you look at the three areas, like really those three ways that we can encourage your subscriber to open the email once in the inbox. One, it's the from name, then it's the subject, and then it's preheader text. And I think we've all seen, especially with preheader text, like this to me is like when you think about email design or putting together an email, is the easiest thing that you can do because <laughs> it has zero impact on renderability is that preheader text and that. I just saw like I just saw one from um, Amazon where it had like uh, it had like the alt text from their their image in that prehair text, and so it's just I've seen a lot of misses with that, and I think that's one area that 
the key areas is pre-text because what it does, it gives you it gives the subscriber a glimpse of what this email is about. So another question that we get asked a lot is talking about the sender name. Do I use a person or do I use a company? And I think it's very situational. I think it depends on the subscriber list. And so some people use like, well, for us, for example, so we send a broad campaign. Um, we use email ask, but we send a transactional email or something where it's very highly personalized. We use like a person's name, like Jeff at email and asset or Jeff, you know, parentheses, email and asset so that we can then set that, that precedence to say, okay, when there's a broader campaign, it's going to more than more personalized or less personalized and going to more people. We'll use email acid. Um, I, well, the way I look at it is you need to test it because every subscriber list is different. So that's kind of like when you encourage them to open it. Then I think when you really think about what we were talking about accessibility, I think that's a huge one. Now that one's a little bit more difficult to manually do when you talk about contrast ratio and, and all this type of stuff from a color variance perspective. Uh, and that's where email and asset comes into play. So I think that's an important one. And like we talked about earlier, I think it's really the links as well. Like do the links work and do they take the subscriber where you want them to go and do they track? And here's, here's a really important thing too, is when you think about UTM codes is a lot of people, a lot of people will copy those codes from one campaign to another, but you, those need to be very specific to the campaign that you're sending, whether it's the source, the campaign, or the, um, and there's another one that you want those to be very specific to this campaign. Cause if not, you're not going to get the full picture within Google analytics because once the open and once they click, we have no way from an email perspective of tracking that that's outside of our platform. So this is a way where then you can pick up that trail through Google Analytics. And so if you have like, let's say like the campaign is, you know, like a Tuesday podcast and let's say I send that out today, but then I, next week I said one out where there's some links in there that have that, those links are not going to be reporting on the correct campaign. And so you're going to get mixed results. You're not going to have a full clear picture. Uh, and then the other one I think is really just spelling. <laughs> it's those grammatical errors. I think that, that we have all done, we've all overlooked them. Um, I do it all the time. And that's why, thank goodness, I have, you know, um, you know, spell checking and, and, you know, we kind of leverage Grammarly here as well um, for some of that stuff. So to make sure that what we're sending out is is accurate and on point, on brand. Definitely. Excellent. So we've got lots of other points that you can test and make sure that you're covering. So again, just go to the show notes. So e-focusmarketing.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 14, and you'll find the free download, the checklist for um, going through that QA process there. So for anyone who is doing it manually or is using a system like yours, John, how do you manage either doing that QA process on your own or when it becomes a lot more complicated and you have to have multiple people involved in the process, what are your kind of top tips for managing all of that? Yeah, and I think it's kind of like what we're sharing with with your um, subscribers today with with that um, attachment is this really starting with a, a thorough checklist, whether you're working with a big team or not. I think that's the number one thing, again, because even when you're so when you think about like if you're a single person that's in charge of marketing, you're wearing so many hats, you're thinking about social, you're thinking about acquisition, you're thinking about, you know, um, lead generation, all that type of stuff. And then you have to think about email as well. And because it might not become, you know, this 
at mind or like top of mind is really having that thorough checklist so that you can go down through every single campaign and you print one out or you have um, an online document where you create for every campaign so that you know before you go and send it through your ESP or wherever you're sending it from is that you know that you've gone through all those checks and that you validated everything within that. I think that's the start from a from an individual person. Now I would still take that same foundation and take it to when you're working with multiple people. Now multiple people, there's more complexity. As your organization grows or as more people are involved in this campaign, it's even more important that communication is so important. This is where I would then take that same document and put it like in Google Docs or put it in a shared folder so that people, you're working on the same document. I would definitely not send it via attachments via email because then things get overwritten. I would use like Google Docs or Office 365 or some way so that you guys can see exactly that checklist and see who's doing what and really kind of um, plan out ahead of time who's managing what in that checklist. Now that checklist could range from who are we sending the email to? Like, what's the segment of this? What's the dynamic content? It can get incredibly complex the bigger organization goes and the more data points that you have. Because obviously, when you're thinking about bigger teams, you have a bigger budget. And when you have a bigger budget, you have bigger tools, right? So you might have Salesforce, you might have HubSpot, you might have some of these things where they are pulling in from a CRM or different sources, those kind of dynamic content. So I think it's really important to in your checklist to talk about what kind of dynamic content and how do we validate that dynamic content. And I think that's one of the really the critical pieces of this as organizations grow um, is how do you validate the content that's coming in, right, with all with as many variations you might have. So, Kay, I'm sure you've worked with with customers that have like I don't know, hundreds of variations of a certain campaign based on that dynamic nature, whether they're using Google Inc. or all this type of stuff. So how do you validate that? And so I think really the, the piece that you would think about is, okay, what contents am I putting? And then how do we go and we understand maybe not all the variations, but how do we understand certain segments and like what portion of that is good enough, right? Are you able to validate that content? Definitely. I, I love that. Right. And so, and then from there, I think it's just like, you know, I've also heard of people using Trello or Basecamp or something similar, monday.com to really kind of map out that Gantt chart about when things need to be done and when the due date is for those things. And it's kind of like organization bringing people together. Yeah. Take that basic QA checklist and then adapt it for each campaign, depending on what the complexities of that campaign are and work it out as a flow between your team. So if you're not on your own, which, which if you are on your own, then, you know, that's okay. But ideally you would have someone else during that QA process to, to sense check everything. But if you do get to the point where you've got a lot of people involved, you've got to have a structure to it. So it doesn't get away with you and that it doesn't take six weeks just to get a campaign approved and, and out the door. You've got to be a lot more flexible than that with it. And certainly something that I've done with my clients is to look at not just what those individual elements are on the QA checklist, but also what is that flow through your business? Where are the blockage points that are happening? So I worked with one client where we literally mapped out this process on the wall with post-it notes. Who were the people that it was going through? Who are the departments? What is it that they were checking? So we could visualize what this process is and what that allowed us to do was, as I said, see where the blockages were. So in one department, I think it was the design department, 
although it was going through design, it was going through three different people and they were all in the timeline to come back and give an approval or do their checks on certain elements. So instead of just going through design, we went through three people in design, which extended the time that it took. So one of the things that we did there to shorten that approval process was say, okay, we have one person, one central point in design that this goes through. And this worked for this business. It may not work for yours, but it gives you an idea of, of how to think about it. So we had one central point in the design department. They had a deadline by which they had to approve their side of the email through that QA checklist. Now, if they want to share it with a hundred people or two people or you know, however many, that's up to them. But one person has to come back with that final answer by that deadline. So it just meant that we had one deadline rather than three to actually get it through that process. So visualize what's happening. Who's involved? Why are they involved? And how can that process be tightened up? So that's definitely something that I would kind of throw in in terms of multiple people being involved there. Now, one of the other things that um, I get asked about all the time is, is spam testing. You know, is that still something we need to worry about? Is it still something that we need to do? And my answer to that is, again, it's situational, like the, the from name, really. So there's a couple of points here. The first thing is that in terms of deliverability and that hierarchy, there are other points of the sender reputation that definitely come higher than spam testing nowadays. 10 years ago, spam testing was absolutely king. You couldn't use the word free without going into the junk folder. That's not so much nowadays. So if you have a good sender reputation, um, and I recorded an episode with uh, Matt at 250OK that was um, previously on the podcast. So go and check that out where we talk all about sender reputation. But if you have a good sender reputation, then certainly that spam content element comes much lower down and you can get away with a lot more from that side. We can be a lot more flexible with it. Now, the caveat to that is that if you've got a poor sender reputation, then content comes back up further up the hierarchy and absolutely is an element that's looked at. Um, and definitely in terms of B2B email clients, versus B2C email clients. The filtering that B2B clients often have at an individual company level, yes, absolutely, you know, that spam content will come back into it. So, John, is there anything you want to add around that in terms of spam testing and why you think it's still important that we should be looking at that element? Perhaps not placing too much emphasis on it, but certainly being aware of it still. Yeah, I think you need to be aware of it from a content perspective because you think about, you know, what's funny is when you talk about free, it just reminded me of that whole, like there's a whole debate about, remember when Viagra was in there too, like one of those words? <laughs> yeah. But you think about though, like Viagra, like they were still sending email campaigns. So there's a lot that goes involved with that. So just because if you think about like people using Viagra in their emails, but Viagra, the company was still highly leveraging or still do highly leverage email. Um, but it, it still does have um, an impact when you think about from a content perspective, because as you mentioned, it's kind of like a grade in school. So you have good reputation. Okay. You know that the spam, the content is not going to impact it as much, but let's say you don't have that great content. It's going to ding you more and they're going to start looking at more things within your campaigns. And something that we did too, that we get a lot of questions about is this is like, what's the ratio? Like are all image based designs bad? 
And so what we did is we actually went and tested this out. So what we found was, so what we did is we put an all image-based email and we started sending it through, right? And we're, we're on a good reputation, so we're using our servers to do that. And so what we did was we, we ran a test. So, okay, what is the impact? And what we found is it actually does have an impact, but the breakpoint there is right around 500 characters. So it's not words, that's characters. So once we got, so once we started sending, we were, we were being blocked, we were hitting the span. Once we got to that 500 character mark, then we started passing everything. So it does still have an impact on where, on where, inbox, where that email goes, because they'll look at it and say, what are you trying to hide? That's the question that they're going to ask. Okay, what is this email trying to hide? Why is there no content? Why is it all images? That is a really great example. And I think it also illustrates how it's not just the words that you use, but it's the format of your email. So you mentioned image to text ratio there. It could be the color of the font you're using. You know, there's a whole load of things that come into spam testing that aren't just about the words. So I think that's a really great point. Okay, so we're at the end of our interview now, John. So what is the top tip that you would give to marketers that want to improve their email marketing and their QA process? Um, the top tip, um, I would just look at the, that checklist, right? The, the checklist that we have and really starting with the foundation of planning. I think that is real, really where um, it all stems from. And I think what you talked about in the beginning too is a fantastic um, fantastic tip too is about how are we going to handle things? What is our process going to be? Not if, but when something goes wrong. And I think you can minimize that, that when something goes wrong, um, by having this checklist in this process about how you're going to put together a campaign. I think that is like the number one tip that I can have is just that upfront planning. You look at it from company perspective, high level perspective is like the more planning you can do up front will save you more time down the road and more heartache down the road. Excellent. And if people want to look into email on acid more, want to find out how you can help them to speed up that process, make it more effective, how can they get in touch with you? Um, they can go to our website, emailonacid.com. Um, they can you know, start a free trial. You can reach out to us at hello at emailonacid.com. We're always happy to talk to anyone who, who wants to talk email. We love email. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are the two, two best places. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone as well. Excellent. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes. And as John mentioned, there is a free trial of email on acid. So I'll put a link directly to that as well. Or if you just go onto the website, you'll see a button saying free trial. So I would definitely recommend that you get in there, you try out the system, you know, even if it's just to give you that idea of what you should be doing in your QA process and how a tool like this can really help you to make that much more efficient. So John, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really great to talk to you and talk through something that is often overlooked, but really is an important part of that campaign planning cycle. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, you're a legend in the industry, so I'm just I'm happy to be here and happy to be able to talk with you through this. Oh, thanks, John. And just as a reminder for everybody, uh, once again, there is a free download QA checklist that we've got to accompany this episode. Head to e-focusmarketing.com forward slash podcast 
forward slash episode 14. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider that you are listening to us through. Follow us on YouTube for more video-based content and find eFocus Marketing on all the socials. Thanks for listening. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Head to our website for downloads and show notes, e-focusmarketing.com slash intelligence.